You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, returning after a week off thanks to guest presenter Declan Maxwell. And I hope you enjoyed last week's programme when Declan focused on Taste of Dublin, which starts this Thursday and runs until Sunday. So huge thanks to Declan for hosting last week. And if you'd like to follow in his footsteps and guest present a show, I'd love to hear from you because I'm always on the lookout for guest presenters. So don't hesitate to get in touch by email s.noonan at live.ie or you can send me a DM on Twitter at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. As I said, last week's show focused on Taste of Dublin and tonight we have a mix of interviews for you, including the lovely Georgina Campbell, who will be talking about the winners in her annual breakfast awards, as well as the Board Be It Just Ask campaign. I was out and about at the market in Adair in County Limerick recently and met Claire McDonnell at her Sandwich Sister stall. But before that, in May, I was in County Cork at Litfest, a food and drinks literacy festival at Ballymaloo. And when I was there, I was lucky enough to enjoy a lunch by chef Robin Gill. Robin is from Dublin originally but is now London based and has a number of restaurants over there and he was one of the judges on Celebrity Masterchef Ireland which aired earlier this year on TV3. After lunch I got a chance to talk to him, lucky me, so let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Robin, it's great to meet you here in Cork, where I believe you spent a lot of your childhood during the summers on a dairy farm. Yeah, that's right, actually. Kilbrack, uh, which is a farm um, really in, in Mallow, actually, just around the corner. Um, I used to come down a lot, a lot. My brother was working on the farm at the time as well, and he used to make his own charcuterie, and he used to bake bread down there, but they had everything. They had pigs, cattle, horses, and Patrick, who's one of the speakers here um, over the next couple of days, um, He's, he's set it up now as a completely organic farm. And I actually noticed, you know, obviously uh, Ballymaloo has an incredible source, a great farm, but they can't, comp- you know, they have to buy ingredients in, especially for big festivals like this. And what did I see but Kilbrack on, 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 on some of the produce they were getting in as well. So it was really nice to see. But at that time now, food wasn't, you weren't really that big into food. Your, your mother was a dancer and your father a musician. So yeah. was it quite a bohemian type life that you led in, in Dublin? Yeah, probably. I mean, they were working incredible, you know, a lot, you know, and she was, tour- she, she was actually touring with Riverdance the whole time. Oh. She was a choreographer okay. and she was the one, like she was, she's from the UK, but she, she was brought in to kind of almost make it. Um, a little bit different and she was the one that created the line it was her idea for the whole line on the river dance um, so then she ended up travelling with three shows at any one time she'd be in Australia Canada one week and then in the UK or whatever you know and then my dad was always gigging so yeah they were working an awful lot um, so but it was always like I used to go travelling a lot with them as well and we'd always go to restaurants so we were interested in food and I was always cooking at home because uh, I enjoyed it I was cooking for the girlfriend and stuff but it wasn't until I didn't know what I wanted to do that they suggested I become a cook because I, I was going to go to university but to do what I didn't know but did you start to do an arts degree and did you go and do something I was something trying to, I was repeating my leaving okay. in the institute made my parents pay out this money to repeat my leaving halfway through I'd done nothing and I was like I'm going to even get worse marks than I did in my first leaving at this rate so I panicked and I just said I was going to become an electrician I got an apprenticeship and went home and told the parents and they were like why would you do that you haven't even changed your light bulb so I went and they, they told me 
to go maybe be a cook. My dad had a lot of friends that were chefs. He met a lot of chefs in the business. He used to work in, he was like a resident band leader in Shelburne in the 60s and he would he knew all he used to go play golf with the chefs and stuff like that you know so he was interested in food and he knew that they had a good life and he knew I was interested in travel so that's one thing is really great if you're a cook is, is to travel it sounds like they really encouraged you to do something that you would enjoy as opposed to like being an electrician it's a good job it's a steady job but they could see maybe that that wasn't going to be what you would do for the rest of your life well yeah I guess I guess you know they did careers that they enjoyed you know and they worked very hard but they enjoyed it and I think for them it, it didn't make sense to do a career just for the sake of money you know you'd have to you have to enjoy it so you know I thank them for that you know and that's just I did enjoy it and as soon as I stepped into the kitchen had some hard times but I knew this is what I wanted to do and um, yeah it's been very rewarding you mentioned the hard times there and mm. it hasn't it wasn't always an enjoyable experience for you and you've written about that yeah yeah and you you experienced bullying in the kitchen. The very first restaurant I worked in was was the worst, and I experienced this incredible, horrible environment where it was literally from the chef down. By four or five guys were just a group of absolute bullies, horrible, horrible people. And I didn't. I don't know. It's only it's only, it's only rec- recently that I've started to be a little bit upset about it. At the time, I just got on with it and I was angry. I was quite a sort of feisty little fella. You know what I mean? I would kind of take the shit and then like get angry to myself and then when I was when I went home to tell my mates that were also cooks I turned into a joke so it wasn't like I was going home and crying or whatever I did cry when eventually I left you know what I mean it was like an overwhelming thing where I finally said actually I'm not taking this after six months or whatever but it was only when I went back we were we were about to launch MasterChef and announced that we were going to be doing the show and Daniel and I were super early and they weren't ready and we went for a pint on Leeson Street and I was telling him, it just reminded me because when I was in the Institute and I went straight to this restaurant and I was telling him about all the horrible stories and all of a sudden I was getting kind of emotional about it. And then when I was asked to write in the Irish Times for whatever I wanted to write, it could have been about carrots, you know, but they just said write about something. And I just instantly thought, I'm going to write about this, I'm going to write about my time. And it took a hell of a lot out of me. I was like literally on the verge of tears all day. And I found my wife saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I'm, I'm really, really all of a sudden upset about this. And as soon as I wrote it, I couldn't read it again. Do you know what I mean? I wrote it, sent it in, and I couldn't read it. Like, even when it was published, I didn't want to read it. I was really upset about it. Um, now, actually, ironically enough, I have to talk about it tomorrow <laughs> in front of a whole lot of people. Do you think it's it's maybe part of a healing process? Yeah, it must be, but it's weird. Like, I don't know. I, I never thought about it. You do these things, you work, and you move on to something else, you forget about it. You know, I never consider myself to be sort of a little bit precious or a bit emotional. But I have been about this for some reason, but only now. I don't know. For a lot of people, that would be the end of it. Like, I'm not staying in this career, but you said you're a very determined person, but also a very competitive person or very have very high standards because it was Michelin star restaurants that you seemed to go after, that that's where you wanted to work and learn the, the French classical... Cuisine. Yeah, I mean, it was only because I actually felt it, felt a, an overwhelming amount of guilt, and I that because I I was really I didn't put all any work into school, everything I was given so many opportunities. I um, my dad sent me into got me into a great school for music, and I was bunking off class, and he was paying for it, you know. And then anything, rugby, whatever, football, everything I got was in, I got into, I got into it for five minutes and gave it up, so. I kind of suddenly turned around and I was like 17 years of age and 
about to turn 18 and I was like, what am I going to do? I've no skills, I've no, I've got a really bad score in my leaving and what am I going to do? So I just was so happy just to finally say, right, this is me now, I'm going to be a chef and that's it. And it was no change in my mind on that. So no, even it was quite weird that it was the first experience I had was the worst and I wasn't going to let that stop me become a chef. But funny enough, I did. I was overwhelmed with the, with the response I got from the article. I got messages from people all over the world, people who had, who had accomplished great things as, as cooks and went on down their own restaurants. But then also, people who had relatives that had issues where their their daughters or brothers or or friends were going through that right at the time and were asking me for advice. And then a lot of people who had, had went through it and decided they didn't weren't going to cook. So it was all different people, but yeah, it could put a lot of people off cooking. And how does that make you feel when people get in touch with you and say, yeah, we can relate to, relate to this negative experience? I was overwhelmed, that? I was touched by it, to be honest. Um, I was really pleased that the article went well, you know, and it was, I'd been contacted from as far as New York, people were messaging me, finding the restaurant and stuff. And, and but the, one, the one that really got me was a girl that contacted me through Facebook and explained she was going through it right now, you know, and she was asking me for advice what to do and was telling me some of the stories that were happening to her and she was looking for advice. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I need to help her, you know, or, or at least give her some form, form of advice. And that was that was the the biggest impact for me. You know? And what would you advise somebody or what, did, what advice did you give to her and to anybody that maybe is experienced? You know, I just said, do the right thing. Don't walk out or whatever unless you really, really have to. Hand in your notice. Be, you know, you know, chin up and then I just said go and you know research into restaurants pick five restaurants that you think are the best and get some advice on it from other people in the business and literally go and spend a week in each kitchen and you must enjoy the culture you know whatever's on the plate is one thing you must ask them how often the menu changes but you have to see yourself fitting in there and you won't get that from just one day's working one day's trial you need to spend a whole week and pick at least five and even and if you're still not sure pick another five and really make sure is that how you ended up then and you worked with Marco Pierre White and Raymond Blanc and Noma did you say right okay this is the way I want to do it or did you kind of fall into those restaurants I kind of fell into it I like two of my best pals were had both landed really good jobs over in London and I didn't want to be left behind they had a bit more experience than me they were cooking a bit longer than me one was going to the Gavroche one was going to Chez Nico when it was still open with three stars and so I just wanted to I didn't want to be left behind so I was only cooking about a year a year and a half when I left Dublin and I just went over for a couple of days with a Michelin guide in one hand and a cover letter and went on literally every single door and it was just by chance that it was the last restaurant I went into actually and it was just by chance that they gave me the opportunity to work in the Oak Room so I ended up there did a year and a half there then I went to then I did actually didn't want to get into Michelin ever again I went travelling for a little bit around Southeast Asia I was just like got a bit hipped out when I was in Southeast Asia and then the same friend I followed over Paul McNerney um, I followed over to Italy he, he was working in a one star on the coast of Naples near, near Sorrento on the Amalfi Coast and I followed him over there and I wanted to work in like a trattoria. Like I imagined sort of romantically being taught how to make pasta by some grandmother or something like that. And the thing is they are all family businesses, so there's no work. So the only place I could get into was like a two star. <laughs> the, the irony of yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't want that job. And then all of a sudden I become more seriously competitive and then it was like, okay, that's it, it's only mission there from now on, you know. And then I ended up at 
uh, somebody was doing a stage from Le Manoir, a stage where you work for free just to kind of get experience. From Le Manoir, he was a senior Sioux in, and he's working in Don Alfonso's where I was working. And then he invited, they invited me out to Le Manoir because I looked after him. And then I did a week or two there and they offered me a job and I ended up staying there for four years. And in 2013, you opened your, your own place, yeah. the, the Dairy in Clapham in, in London. Yeah. And it's completely, it's not Michelin at all. It's very relaxed. It's, you know, tell us about the types of food the, on the, the menu. The food is, is like, the ethos is, is, is trying to get as close as to what, like, is happening in the likes of Ballymaloo here. You know, it's, it's all about produce. Like, we're lucky, we've actually secured a, our own land in, in near Gatwick Airport, where we're starting to grow all around vegetables. We had always grown around herbs on the rooftop. We had beehives, and we make all around charcuterie, around bread. So it's it's basically like a, a step back to kind of traditional methods of cooking. So um, it's all about the ingredients and then almost like forgotten skills. So like, you know, fermenting, curing, uh, bread making, and just sourcing the... It's, it's the closest to a farmhouse sort of restaurant that's in the city. That was my whole goal. And then 18 months later, you opened the manor. How does it compare to the dairy? Or They're the- actually quite similar. There's just a different feel in the restaurant. Like, the manor is... A little bit more space. It looks a bit sort of scandy. It's got higher ceilings. It's quite airy. It's probably a little bit more comfortable in the evenings. There's more there's more space between tables, um, but there's still music playing there. It is still a, I call it like a modern bistro, and the food is I would say what would say it's like Dean's food. Dean is the head chef there, so I don't claim to be this head chef that goes around writing all the menus and 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 taking all the credit for it. Like Dean is very much in charge, and it's his menu. We worked together for years, and it's him, and he's got his own style. But it is along the same ethos as what we do, you know. Everything's made from scratch. He does a lot of fermenting as well, and he's also involved in the farms. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's very similar, same price point, everything. So. And Paradise Garage? Similar, but it's it's more of an a la carte, whereas we, m- most people go for, like, tasting menus, and it's all sort of snacks, and um, the menus are split up into snacks, garden, sea, and land, and it's more like small plates, whereas Paradise Garage is a bit more of a traditional bistro where it's that our main course dessert little bit simpler cooking and uh it's yes east east london so it's pretty cool and that sounds a bit now like the the format for the menu here today at bali maloo the snacks to start off with i just loved the anchovies oh yeah they were fab i mean such a diverse range of snacks there to start off with and then the the eel you don't have love made out on the menu for the eel no, I should have put it down on the menu, yeah. Because I asked one of the servers where oh, the was you that someone came in. Because I'm from the north originally oh, and right, okay. I grew up about half an hour from from Loch Ney and Loch Ney eel is hugely popular now in the in the north, the promotion and everything. Yeah, well this so, is huge in the UK. There's a lady from a company called the Dutch Eel Company. I don't know why well, she's Dutch, but that's where she buys her eels. Most of her eels come from Loch Ney. But she's a really good how she treats them is phenomenal, better than anyone else I know. Or that anywhere else I've tried, both in the UK and Ireland. But I know she gets reels from Loch Ney and she treats them and she, I think it's done in Lincolnshire. So she buys them um, and does all the production there. And you incorporated a lot of the ingredients from the land here in Ballymaloo into the menu. Exactly, like smoked eel we brought over, we, we brought over our own charcuterie and we brought some like what I call like the secret, our secret weapons, like our, a lot of stuff from our larder, so like the fermented fennel and sort of pickle wild garlic stems and like the merguez sausage we smuggled over and stuff like that. But... But when we got here, then everything from the from the farm, from the dairy, all the vegetables, the radishes. Then there was a little bit of foraging that took place as well. There was a wild watercress that was picked, wild rocket, 
and uh, three corner garlic, all these sort of things. So it was phenomenal. We spent a lot of time on the Thursday, no cooking, just literally walking around. And they, 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 everybody here has been really super helpful, just showing us around, showing us everything, and quite proudly. And so they should be, you know, everything from the eggs to the dairy is just phenomenal. And the team you work with is very important to you, be it here doing a pop-up or yeah. over in London. And I hear you're very good to work with. That You're very good to your staff and you pay them over over the odds. And I certainly got an impression of you whenever you were judging on MasterChef Ireland that you are a very nice person. I felt on MasterChef Ireland that, you know, you really wanted to hug them all the time and mind them and, and bring them on. Like you, you just didn't like being super critical of them. Well, yeah, look, we were, Daniel and I kind of even asked the producers, like, what do you want from us, you know? Because I didn't want to not, I didn't want to sort of act and pretend to be something else. So Daniel and I met up just before it started and said, well, how are we, how are we going to play this? And said, well, it's the first time there's been two chefs as judges. Usually it's someone who's like a food critic or something like that and a chef. So it's unique in the fact that it was two chefs. So we said, well, let's, let's just like train them as much as possible. So the end goal is that when we get closer to the final that we've actually made the cooks that started at the beginning much better than what they were. And that's, that was the goal. So... Yeah, you know, that was that was it. So we wanted to encourage them. We we got more upset, which is exactly how it would be in the kitchen. I'd be upset when people messed up. Not not angry, you know what I mean? I'd be a bit like, ah, oh, that's a, you know, you let me down a little bit, you know, and they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As opposed to fear, you know. Do you think the right person won it? Yes, it all came down to it. Like you just and that that's the thing, every single episode you really didn't know what way it was gonna go. It was always down to the final dishes. And she smashed it like Neve's dishes were faultless, you know. They might have seen to the viewers to be a little bit simpler perhaps, maybe than Simon's or whatever. But when you when you when you put it all together you couldn't criticise anything that was on the plate. It was really, really good, really very strong. Well finally, just to finish off, the Bloodshot Supper Club. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it open to the public or is it just for chefs? It is, no no no. It's it's aimed more for industry and not just chefs, but front of house and back of house. Like it was a it was made for like a platform for people to when they finish on a Saturday night somewhere where they could go have a really good food interesting food quite shocking as well a lot of the food in a good way and it was a platform for young chefs it was aimed at a lot of the sort of the right hand men of people who are really really successful like say Nuno Mendes always has a head chef or or Claude Bossi's head chef and and those guys are cooking Claude's food and Nuno's food or or Marcus Waring's food, and they give them an opportunity to actually cook their own food. So they really, and those guys are so competitive, it's their opportunity to cook their own menu for the first time. So it's fantastic food, but then you had like, it's big communal tables, and you had, I tried to restrict the tickets for only two people, like two per person, so you're not going to get like staff parties from restaurants, but you get different restaurants, front of house, back of house, all sitting together on the so tables. networking. And yeah, but now, it's, it was, we, did, we were releasing only eight seats for the general public, but a little bit more now. We, we don't sort of count and, and stuff, we just sort of, who were first come, first served. And this October, you'll be back in Ireland for Food in the Age? Yes, yeah, really looking forward. That was amazing last year. So, so amazing. I mean, such a, an incredible symposium, very, like, the, what ha- what's talked about, the subjects, the people, but there's no barriers there. I mean, you're you're literally beside someone who's sort of a 17-year-old young chef, and then you've got Pierre Kaufman, who's in his 70s, and then you've got a three-star from the States, or 
A Wong from is cooking the most amazing Chinese food in London, and then you've got Pugliese from Copenhagen. So all these different people, and that's just the chefs. You know, there's there's journalists, there's food writers, there's everything, and then you're all in the pub afterwards, and you're all mingling together. It's so much fun, brilliant. It's very interactive, a bit like here at Lit Fest. Yeah, I mean, and some of those kind of chefs, especially the chefy sort of symposiums of some of the ones in Spain and stuff like that, everyone takes themselves so seriously, and there might be big dinners where you're all sitting down, and everyone's sort of like business card here, business card there. It's not like that at all. There's no big sit-down dinners. It's all like producers. So it's like a farmer's market and you're going around eating the most amazing oysters or salmon or beef or vegetables and you're, you're chatting, you're just mingling the whole time. It's really good. Well, we look forward to seeing you then, if not yeah. before. And in the meantime, thanks so much for an absolutely wonderful lunch today you're and welcome. for talking to me. Most welcome. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was with Chef Robin Gill at LitFest, a food and drinks literacy festival at Ballymaloo. And still to come on the show tonight I'll be paying a visit to the Friday Market in Adair, County Limerick to talk to sandwich sister Claire McDonnell. If you are just tuning in you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com, as well as on iTunes and the podcast app. And now it's also on the taste.ie website, which was voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. So no need to miss a show ever. Now, it's been a long time, too long in fact, since we had my next guest on the programme. Georgina Campbell is one of Ireland's leading hospitality guides and when she came to Limerick City a few weeks ago for the launch of the Picktown Festival, which incidentally takes place in Limerick City and County in September and October, visit picktown.ie for details. Well, as I say, when Georgina came to Limerick, I seized the opportunity to meet up with her. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Georgina, it's a long time since we have spoken. Apologies for that. So you're very welcome to Limerick. It's great to, to have you here in the city and thanks for taking the time to meet me. And we're going to talk about the Board Be It Just Ask campaign and we're going to go back to the winner in February. But before we do that, just explain briefly what the Just Ask campaign is. Well, the Just Ask campaign, um, as uh, some people remember, is a public awareness campaign and the aim is to encourage consumers when they're eating out to look for information on where the food on the plate comes from and particularly the meat. And so the idea really, the whole point of the campaign is to try to encourage uh, chefs and restaurateurs to give this information on menus and on their website and to give it very clearly and to be very specific about using Irish produce and then local produce as well. Uh, but also for to put the onus also on customer. Um, if that information is not given, just ask. So it isn't just about the restauranters, it is also about the public as well because there's no point restauranters going to all this effort to highlight local produce if it's not what the customer wants and as consumers we have a responsibility to be buying local and even using locally sourced ingredients at home ourselves. Yes, I think that's very important Sharon. I think I think this is happening more and more in all aspects of our life now um, that we've got to take personal responsibility. We can't always be saying... 
you know, they should be doing this, that and the other. We should be doing everything. And, and also I think that making it an interactive process in this way is actually much more interesting and it's much more meaningful. So the, the restaurateur, the um, chef the shopkeeper, they get the benefit of knowing that they're getting this feedback from the public. And I think that, you know, it's very important that that is a two-way process. In February, the winner was from Sligo. So tell us who it was. Well, the uh, the Sligo winner was called The Draft House in Strand Hill. And um, as a lot of people will know, Strand Hill is a smashing little hotspot for food and drink anyway. Uh, so it was actually very uh, brave, I think, of uh, Dan and McGarrigal to open this gastropub. It was not even two years ago. It was May uh, 2015 when they opened. And uh, they really hit the ground running because the, the, the emphasis was initially, as you can tell from the name, the draft house, that the, uh, the emphasis was on drink and very much on craft drinks and on craft brew. And there's such a huge interest in that. I mean, there's been an absolute explosion of interest in, in craft drinks recently. And it's, if anything, getting faster and faster. Uh, so I think that that immediately got everybody interesting. And the fact that it's in Strand Hill, it's such a gorgeous place and so handy to Sligo Town. And so that's one side of it. And I think, you know, that was, you know, the foundation. But that philosophy has been carried through very much to the food as well. So tell us a bit about the food. What sort of dishes are on the menu and what sort of ingredients are they using? Well, the, the very interesting thing here is um, the, the head chef who, who started up here with Lee Maston, um, he arrived via a number of very famous uh, gastropubs, and most particularly the Oarsman in Carrick-on-Shannon, which was one of the original uh, gastropubs and is still very hard to beat. And um, he, so his philosophy and uh, Danny McGarrigal's uh, philosophy tied up together very well. And um, their, their motto is, don't, we don't do ordinary. And I think that really sums up everything. The dishes uh, that they do are the, the kind of standard uh, gastropub dishes. But actually, you know, it's when you look at the ingredients and the pride that they take in the suppliers and in, in showcasing these ingredients, the dishes may be simple, they are pub dishes, uh, but they're actually, that is where the starring role is, is actually the, the ingredients themselves. So that, that, that's really, you know, the, the philosophy is very important. As you said, they're, they're about two years in business and they hit the ground running. So there obviously was an appreciation there of locally sourced ingredients and they realised that that is something that is what the consumer wants. Yes, very much so. And of course, they're very lucky in their area. Uh, I mean, they've got terrific butchers, for example. They have um, Shirin's Meeting Place in Ballymote. And that's where they get their pork and their beef and their chorizo from, and also the sausages and bacon. And Sherlock's of Tubber Curry. It's quite interesting, actually, you know, that you go to a place like Tubber Curry uh, when you've got Sligo on the doorstep. But uh, Tubber Curry, um, Sherlock's uh, supply them beef and chicken. And uh, then they get quite unusual things like quail eggs from 12 Quail Farm at Fina in County Leitrim. And Thornhill Duck, the very, very famous duck from Cavan, which, of course, is on uh, Nevin Maguire's doorstep. It's a very close neighbour, and he's uh, really you know, been fantastic in supporting them for such a very long time. So, you know, they've all those kind of ingredients. And then the smaller ones as well. When I say smaller, I mean, they, they, you know, they're perhaps the, the, the less obvious ingredients, things like the, um, the salad leaves from Crowan Organic Garden in Cantor Common. So, you know, they've covered quite a wide net there 
It's quite interesting if you look at the geography. It's all local, relatively speaking, but actually, the, um, the you know they, they're looking around. There, there's plenty of choice closer to home as well, but they're very specific about the, where they want to buy their ingredients. What about the decor there? Because I believe they're they're very much into supporting <laughs> artists and using yeah. locally reclaimed products. Yes, I mean that's the thing. It's quite a wacky place. And, uh, you know, the minute you walk into it, you know that you're somewhere different, that this is somewhere that, that people have put a lot of thought into. And as you say, the, the recycling uh, is gas, you know, because it, it really you have that feeling that everything in the place has really had a great deal of thought and, and there's an artistic expression. And, you know, it is quite wacky and that's part of the fun. And, and they have great outdoor seating area too for good weather, you know, that you can sit and enjoy the sea. And sometimes using reclaimed materials like that, it works and sometimes it doesn't work you have to have the right eye for it yes well i think they've obviously got a very good eye uh, there's no doubt about it because it works extremely well nothing about the place feels affected you know it really feels as if everything yeah it's fun but it has a purpose as well and it you know it it, it is fit for purpose before you go now we must ask you about your breakfast awards ah. because you gave these out last month and you have a very varied list here that, that the whole country has somewhere that you can go for a fantastic breakfast yes indeed now this is an interesting thing because we've been doing the Irish breakfast awards as, as a section within our um, annual awards for many many years decades now uh, but last year I decided to take the breakfast awards out of the main awards and to, to run them into Independently, because I felt that they deserved a more profile than they were getting. I think they really deserved a standalone event. Um, so this is the first time for a very long time that it has been held as a, as a standalone event. And uh, Fulcher Island um, came in to support it. So it, it was the Georgina Campbell Irish Breakfast Awards in association with Fulcher Island. We're very grateful for that. And uh, that enabled us to, to, to make it a bigger thing. And so we developed based on last year's. This was held early in the year, of course. So the, um, the, the winners were chosen based on the previous 12 months um, assessments. So some of them would have been quite recent, but the main bulk of them probably would have been over last summer. So you know, we, the, if, if we went, we we actually divided up slightly differently now from our previous ones because of the association with uh, Fulcher Island. So we had five, four, and three-star hotels, and then our country house and guest house and B and B, but also the welcome standard, which um, Fulcher Island are very keen to. Um, uh, to promote because it is something slightly different and it allows uh, for these slightly um, you know less usual uh, sort of places to, to be um, to be involved as well and we wanted also to do a visitor attraction because um, we were asked by Fultran to think of something which had a tourism context and I thought the visitor attraction was particularly interesting one to pursue because the food in most visitor attractions leaves a lot to be desired, to put it politely. And uh, so we thought, you know, perhaps by uh, finding some places where they were doing a really good breakfast, um, that's the kind of thing which makes an impression of visitors who are arriving at an attraction early in the day, sets them up for the day. And we're hoping that other attractions will really take notice of this. Um, then we had brunch, which is something which we'll be developing a lot uh, in the future. And then we also included, and this is very important, and I think if anything, this is the area that I would put most focus on, we also included some of the food products. Uh, now, this year we decided to, uh, to concentrate on uh, bacon for the meats and also a fish category, a cereals category, and a dairy category. Now, obviously, we missed some things. You know, we could perhaps have had eggs, for example. It's an obvious thing that we've missed, but we didn't want too many categories, so uh, we chose those. And very importantly as well, the Irish Bread Award. 
And in this, again, we have three categories within it. And one is for the traditional brown bread. Then there's one for a very ancient one. In this case, it was the Waterford Blast. We wanted a different kind of a history as opposed to the uh, soda bread history. And uh, then another one for, for a, a combination of tradition and innovation. Now, if we kind of work backwards through those uh, very quickly, the, um, the tradition and innovation, uh, we felt it was quite interesting. Uh, I wrote a book on Irish breads and baking in the 1990s. And at that time, I, I'm looking back on it now, we had no soda breads in it. There was not, it, it didn't, it wasn't a factor in, in Irish cooking at all. And so that would, is a chapter that would need to have, you know, if I did another edition, I'd have to add it. Um, so looking at that, now that, that's where the innovation comes in. It was Declan Ryan, uh, our beauty spread in Cork, who won the award. And the reason he won it is because he was a decade ahead of everybody else. He saw that the interest that the would, was to him, he, he'd eaten this bread abroad, and he wanted to sort of start a new career. And he said, this is what he's going to do. So having run a, a, an amazing, hotel with a Mission Star restaurant he then started off on retirement um, his new career as a baker and he's made such a success of it so I thought it was really important to um, to give him that credit and then on the other side the on the historical side the Baron's Bakery now, with the Waterford Blowers. Now, the Waterford Blowers had a lot of publicity in recent years. Uh, you know, they have all sorts of EU accreditations and so on. They have a history going back to the Huguenots. And so, particularly, you know, the Waterford area, the history of the, the, the Waterford, uh, um, Waterford history going back to the Huguenots, and, of course, Cork does as well, um, with a great long trail there. And it's extraordinary to think that you're looking at a white bread roll on your plate, and it has this link uh, going back to the Huguenots. And and that it seems romantic from a distance. It probably wasn't romantic at the time, but it's it's wonderful connection. And there are only four bakeries that are allowed to produce these rolls, and they're now you know appointed national pride as well as pride for the southeast. So I think that is really nice. And then the the other one was the um, traditional brown bread. Now uh, the King's Citric. Now this is a thing. It, it appeared in my very first book in the early nineties. And um, I've used it whenever I can since because this is a really interesting recipe. Um, they've been using it since the restaurant opened in 1971. And it, it goes back to, in, in living memory, to, uh, to Aidan McManus's grandmother and probably far beyond that. They cook it in, or did, certainly when I wrote that book, uh, in a cast iron uh, casserole with the lid on. So this would be just like the, the old way of cooking over an open fire uh, using the, you know, the, 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 the cast iron cooking pot with the lid on. Uh, so it's going back to that very long history. So he doesn't actually know how far back in the family it goes, but within his memory it goes back to his grandmother. So I think that's lovely. Again, you know, when you have a meal in the King Citric in Hoth, uh, you're you're eating a bit of living history when you have the bread, and it's absolutely delicious. Um, and then the of, of the others of the of the foods we have um, O'Neill's Dry Cure Bacon. Um, the Meat Award, and that's in Enscorthy County, Wexford. And I think it's absolutely wonderful because this is, you know, a relatively large, it's a medium-sized company now, so they're big enough to be supplying hotels. Now, one of the reasons that I'm so interested in the uh, Breakfast Awards is that people are talking about the Irish Breakfast um, as if it's um, genuine all the time, when it isn't. And the sad thing is that a lot of hotels are actually serving, and not only hotels, but other sort of places where you see all-day breakfast and everything, um, are serving things which they call the Irish breakfast, which actually have no connection to 
nourishing ingredients. It's just yes. the, the formula. It's, exactly. You know, the bacon and the eggs exactly. and the sausage. And, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. the formula as so, opposed so, to where know, the ingredients come from. In my view, it's, it's sort of fraud, really. Yes. Yes. It is a food fraud. Um, so I think we need to think a lot about the ingredients that go into this. When this dish, the traditional Irish plate, as I call it, uh, when, when it is made well... It's very simple. Uh, it's not showing off at all. But the goodness of the ingredients, if the ingredients are really good, the, it, it shines through. You know, every mouthful is absolutely delicious. So it may be only four or five things on a plate, and they're not fancily arranged or anything, maybe a bit of parsley. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing, but it's only wonderful when it's done right, when the ingredients are right. And the thing about a company like O'Neill's, is that because they're not really, really small, they do dry cure bacon, and it's all from Irish pigs, and they're careful who they buy them from and so on, but they are big enough to supply hotels, and so they're big enough to make an impact on that situation where we need to be making improvements. And then the fish, we have the burn smokehouse smoked salmon. As everybody who travels around Ireland is one of the favourite dishes on any uh, breakfast menu now. It's the smoked salmon and uh, scrambled egg, you know, which is, has become a modern Irish classic and it's lovely. And, of course, there are a lot of places in the higher end where they also have, the lay, they lay out uh, sort of charcuterie boards and things at breakfast time and they have a fish, a smoked fish selection and that would be the kind of thing that would be on it. And again, you know, let's think about the very best. What I'm trying to do with these awards is benchmark uh, what, what the best is and to hope that other people will, uh, will, you know, will move up market. Then the Flavins Oats were the uh, cereals. Again, they're in the sixth or seventh generation uh, in Kilmot Thomas and County Waterford. Wonderful company. Um, and also, if you think about oats, it's such a simple ingredient. We all know how good for us it is. And of course, that's another thing about breakfast. You know, we know it's the meal in the day that it, that is so important. It's the most important meal. Uh, it gives the foundation for everything that happens that day. And uh, the oats also, you think about the Irish countryside and, you know, where would be, if you look around the fields and the wonderful rural vistas that we have, you know, a lot of that is down to oats. And Flavins are supporting all these farmers and they're, you know, they're buying all their oats locally. Um, they buy almost all locally now, actually. Um, they have an organic range and the organic ones, they can't buy enough in Ireland. So they're actually gathering in more and more Irish farmers uh, to supply them with the... Um, with their organic oats, for their organic range, uh, so that they can reduce those uh, imports. And then there's one interesting one here, a dairy one, which is not as well known at all. This is the Clanderboy Estate yogurt from Bangor County Town. It is, which will surprise a lot of people, the only yogurt made in Northern Ireland. I mean, it's extraordinary. Why is there only one yogurt made in Northern Ireland? But fortunately, it's a lovely one. And it's one of my very favourite places to go every time I'm anywhere near. I'll take a bypass, uh, I'll take a special route to, uh, to Clanderboy. It's right next to the Clanderboy Lodge Hotel. And there's a little, there's a, a yard there that you can go into. There's a funny little door and it's an honesty shop. And you can go into the shop and they've all their rosettes of all around of all the things that their cows have won. They're so proud of their cows. They've got beautiful Jersey cows and others, but particularly the Jerseys, uh, pedigree herds. And uh, Lady Dufferin, who is the head of all this and who is the, an artist as well and designed uh, beautiful things for their packaging, uh, she's a very wacky lady and she's a, a great character. She loves her cows to bits. And she's got the shop set up that there's a, a, 
a, a glass wall between the shop and the dairy and if you go in at the right time of day you can watch the cows being milked and it's just there's such a connection it sounds like a wonderful visitor it's experience it's absolutely fabulous it really is and sometimes in the winter um, the cows are out most of the time but if you call in the winter sometimes the cows are in the shed next door and you can actually go in and pet them <laughs> it's, it's just lovely it really is it's a very special experience and you know I think that's what Ireland's all about you know it's this very close connection between food and farming which is so special and I just mentioned visitor experience there, so that brings us on nicely to visitor attractions and yeah. and the highly commended. We're staying in the north for the highly yes. commended. Yes, highly commended. Now, um, anyone who follows the guide um, will know that uh, we think very highly indeed of the Yellow Door and uh, Simon Dugan's um, operation, and they have they've got both their own shops and bakeries, which are um, you know there are several of them in the north, uh, but also as well as that they have a very highly regarded. Uh, catering operation, uh, which is ex- you know extremely successful, and the same high standards. And one of the um, operations that they uh, they do is um, native uh, by Yellow Dot at the Mac in Belfast. And I think one of the reasons that we chose that, in fact, you know any of the ones that they do would have been equally valid. But I think it's very important uh, to get people to places that are good. And this is very accessible. It's in the city centre in Belfast. A lot of people go there. And a lot of people go there for the food. You know, they might find the Mac almost because they go for the food, you know, so that then they'll see that something's on and they'll go back for a performance or something like that. But um, it is very important. And the same thing when the way would go for the um, the Courtyard Cafe at uh, Burcastle. Uh, I was surprised after this. A number of people said to me they've never been to Burcastle. I thought it's absolutely extraordinary. It's such a historic place. And there's so much of interest both in the castle itself and all the uh, connections with the astro- astronomy, the gardens, and then this wonderful cafe, which is in the courtyard as you go in, and you don't have to pay in. And actually, that's a very important part about the selections of, 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 that we made for the visitor attractions, is that all three of them um, are ones that you can go to independently without having to pay an entry fee to go and eat, because I do think that takes away from it a bit. If you, know, if, if you want to go and use a good eating place at a visitor attraction and you haven't got time, to go and see the attraction or you live locally and you don't want to see it every week you know i think it's much better if you can actually go in and not have to worry about the about paying the um, the entry fee so that applies to the courtyard cafe in burr and it also applies of course to overend's uh, restaurant at airfield estate in dublin now airfield estate needs no introduction i know at this stage it's it's a very very well known and highly regarded attraction but again, I can't speak too highly of it. And the connection between the farm, the gardens, and the restaurant, and everything that they do there, it's, a, it's an absolute um, all-encompassing philosophy, and it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And you mentioned Nevin Maguire earlier, and Nevin would do a lot of filming there. That yes. his, his most yes. recent series in Ireland he filmed there. Yes, but it's actually very hard to talk about food in Ireland now without mentioning Nevin at some stage in the conversation. And of course his guest house yes, was yes, a winner. In, indeed, yes, he was highly commended in the guest house uh, section as well. I mean, everything that they do at Mac- McNean House and Bistro is just so well done. 
Uh, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Now, not everybody can stay there, obviously. I mean, there's a limit to the number of rooms, and it does make it a very expensive outing. Um, but I would strongly recommend uh, an overnight stay, and the breakfast is an experience. And he's there, you know. I mean, he's always there. I, I've never been uh, I, and and uh, been told that it, that he's away. or he's just doesn't. He must be secretly cloned. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think he's actually very careful about the opening times so that he allows himself time in the week that he can do. As you know, he's very generous with his time for charities and things like that. And uh, I think he allows the time to go and do, uh, to meet his other commitments, uh, to be sure that he will be there when the restaurant is open, which, mm. is, which, which is also wonderful. And um, yes, the other ones in, in that uh, particular category also included uh, uh, New Forge House um, at Maharlin County Amar. Now, actually, they're almost um, in County Down. Uh, they're just on the, the northern edge of County Amar. And um, it's an absolutely gorgeous place. It's only half an hour from uh, Belfast. And everything about it, it's a bit like Nevin's place. Everything is just right. You know, I can't imagine that anything is ever out of step there. It's absolutely beautiful. And the people are lovely and the hens are outside and, you know, everything is just perfect. And uh, in that uh, uh, category as well, the guest house category, Inch House uh, in Thurless, uh, is one of the winners, and they're a winner for the for their whole operation for the for the breakfast that they do. But on our event, for our event, the breakfast that we had for the Irish Breakfast Awards, um, which was held at the Intercontinental, they hosted it in Dublin. Um, we actually had the Inch House black pudding on the menu. We had a number of these: a Ballin Willen House, which was highly commended in the B and B category. Um, we had their wonderful sausages, which I think you're very familiar with. I Sharon. am, yes. Yes, the lovely wild boar sausages. Um, so they were on the menu that day as well. And we had, of course, the O'Neill sausages, the O'Neill um, uh, bacon as well. So we had great stuff. Actually, this is another. Sorry, just with all these wonderful categories, the welcome standard, the winner. And the welcome standard is the most interesting one. Burn glamping. Have you come across them before? I haven't. No, I've heard about them, but I've never. I have never glamped. I would well, like well, to this glamp. Is, this is glamping in style. Now it really is because they've they've taken a four horse horse box, and you would not believe what they've got in it. There's a proper shower. There is a flushing toilet. There is a double bed. There are bunks. There is a, there's a proper seating area with a little um, a little stove, a proper little kitchenette, and everything. And then they say, and by the way, if you don't want to cook, you can come into the house. <laughs> and how do they have one of them, or is there multiple? They have of them? one, and apparently they're under pressure to get more. I'd going. say, yeah, but be very I think actually, do you know? I think they like it just to have the one, and uh, they they have they, they have their own pigs. Uh, so they're plenty going on there, the, the barn free-range pigs. And they'll cook, they'll do breakfast in the house, but they'll also do um, evening meals as well. So it's a very hospitable arrangement. And I think it would depend who you are, whether you would actually like to be entirely on your own. Kids love it, absolutely love it. It's a magic outing for kids. So that's that's a very different one. And I think that was a really interesting choice because it's very much the welcome standard ethos I think this is the kind of thing that uh, Voltron are trying to get across with the welcome standard. You know that you don't have to be a, an, an ordinary place. Uh, you know, ticking all the boxes and everything. You can now be doing something different. So that's great. And then, of course, with all these um, very up, high up hotels. As well, well, we must talk about the five star <laughs> hotels just to finish off, yeah. because if if you are in that category with your budget, the best 
breakfast then in Ireland five-star hotel is the Marion in Dublin. Yes, it is. Now, I would say there's very little to choose between our winner, our highly commended, our two highly commended. I honestly think it was very, very difficult. I kept juggling them around. I think that the standards of all three of them are so high um, that it's really uh, very difficult to decide which would be the final winner. But finally, it did come down to the Marion. And I think, you know, it's it's not only the food, it's the whole the whole experience and I do think everything that they do at the Marion the service is so extraordinary that that's always what remains in your mind but as well as the the food is immaculate always everything to do with the Marion the food is immaculate but the Culloden estate and spa in Belfast of course is the um, the top hotel for the Hastings group uh, they also have an interest in the Marion incidentally but I, that only crossed my mind afterwards um, but they have a very interesting philosophy of food, and you see it most particularly in this hotel. They they try to uh, get the same message across in all of their hotels, but it's particularly successful in the Culloden. And they have a map at the breakfast table showing you where all of their suppliers are and so on. And they have this lovely thing on their menu, say, who, 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 who made my menu, who made my breakfast, <laughs> kind of thing. And it's lovely. And so I think you get a very strong, strong sense of the philosophy of the, of the people running the hotels, but also of the, you know, the whole uh, philosophy of, of bringing together the Northern Ireland uh, food-producing community um, and the uh, everything that's on the plate. And, of course, it's not just for breakfast, it's for all of their meals as well. But the breakfast is a particularly strong message. And then another one, of course, the highly commend is the Europe Hotel and Resort in Killarney. And, uh, you know, for a, a hotel which has got such a continental um, s- strength to it, it's, it's, there's a very continental philosophy, um, it's not like um, an, an Irish owned hotel it's a different experience it's very much the um uh, the buffet uh, that's the way that they do it and it's it's different but it's very very well done and of course you've got that wonderful view <laughs> absolutely well you've given us lots of ideas of fantastic places to go throughout ireland be it just to have the breakfast or for lunch or dinner so if people want to get full details about the breakfast winners are they all on your website they are indeed and they're also on the Fulcher island website and um, I'm sure there are on lots of other websites as well at this stage because there's been a lot of interest in them. But yes, they're on our website. And then, of course, for the Board Be a Just Ask campaign, there's a map there that's very well populated yes. now with all the winners if people go to boardbea.ie. Yes, I think they're going to have to get smaller pointers because <laughs> a bigger map or smaller pointers. Fantastic. Listen, lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much, Georgina. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, we've heard from Chef Robin Gill. And just before the break, I was talking to Georgina Campbell, one of Ireland's leading hospitality guides. And if you're just tuning in, you can catch up on The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at nine o'clock. And all the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com, as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And now it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now we're approaching the end of the show but we have time to hear from a street food producer that I met at the Friday market in Adair in County Limerick. Claire McDonnell is one half of the Sandwich Sisters. 
Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Claire, what brings you to Adair today? What brings me to Adair is my lovely stall and we're selling gorgeous gourmet sandwiches. And today there's a Friday food market on every Friday and it, there's a great buzz around. And we're very happy to be here. It's only started a few weeks, but it's growing and developing. Yeah, sure. This is its third week running and we've already gained momentum, a lot of momentum and a lot of interest from the locals. And they're very happy to have us here. Well, tell us if somebody comes to your stall, what's on the menu? So what would be on the menu? So I do like sandwiches and tapas. So sandwiches would be gourmet, home-cooked meats, slow-cooked meats, all specialized brisket, ham hock, chicken and chorizo, and all cooked or put into a lovely ciabatta and wraps also. And you can also get a warm chicken salad on the go if you like, if you're not into the breads. And then for my tapas section, I have lovely fresh olives from the Olive Company and I have lovely fresh Irish mozzarella, sun-dried tomatoes, homemade pestos and lovely manchego cheese. So anything you want you can get here. So it's all Spanish, that's a Spanish cheese? That's a Spanish cheese, yeah. That's manchego, two-year-old raw sheep's milk cheese. Really interesting. When you eat it, it dances on the tongue. So there's like a sharpy nuttiness to it and it goes lovely with olives, which I have at the hand and lovely Sicilian sun, sun-dried tomatoes all which I get from the Olive Company as well the real Olive Company in West Cork that's down in Toonsbridge yeah, yeah okay. Toonsbridge Dairy and the mozzarella is flying out the door people actually don't believe it's Irish and also a homemade pesto and you can pick and choose anything you like you can mix and match so anything you can find abroad you can find right here in the Friday milk market in Adair how long have you been doing this? so this will be my second year in business Self I have a law and psychology business. degree Um, And I also teach business law at night in Limerick Senior. So because I have a business, I know about business. And it's been really interesting to get into because I've always worked in food markets in Limerick. And it's something that I've always loved. And now the fact that I'm doing it, I'm just really, really happy. I'm really happy. Love doing it. What are people's response whenever they come up to see what you have for sale? For example, something like tapas. I know now sandwiches, people often associate a sandwich with lunch, but to do something like tapas for lunch. Yeah, well, the first thing that people ask me about is the sandwich sisters. They're like, are you really sisters, you and the girl that work here? And I'm like, yes, we are. And with the sandwiches, it's more like a dinner in a sandwich it's not just a regular kind of a deli sandwich it's with the slow cooked meats and everything that goes with it and I pickled all my own cucumbers and fresh lettuce and my own homemade harissa mayo and then with the tapas people love olives they're just really into olives even kids nowadays love the pepper stuffed and the garlic stuffed and then if you have the cheese beside it and the tomatoes it's just a fantastic smorgasbord of everything you want and you've lots of what's this hanging up these are really really amazing sun-dried chilies and they're really gorgeous. They look fake, but they're real. <laughs> and can you use those you, in cooking? You, you could chop these up. You could throw this into a stew, one of these, like a bay leaf, and then take it out. And you could also chop it up and put it into oil and have a chilli oil, if you like. Okay. So they're you, quite spicy. Your passion for food is very clear here. It's very clear. Like, yeah. When Who you do you attribute that to growing up? Well, uh, Doreen Allen is a huge... Like, I've met her at a Skibreen Food Festival, and she is my idol. And she doesn't let down when you meet her in person as well. And also Toby Simmons is a great, a great influence of mine because I worked with him on the olive stall for years. And that's where I really got my ideas from. It's just the quality and something that hasn't been done before in Ireland. And now we're making it happen. And it feels so amazing to be a part of it. And I'm so happy. Well, listen, lovely to talk to you today. You too. I hope people enjoy their lunch. It's do. delicious. They're like, yum. Can you not hear them? <laughs> if people want to find out more about you. So if you want to find out more, I'm on Facebook and just look up the Sandwich Sisters on Facebook. Fantastic. Thanks a million. Thank you so much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. 
lovely to talk to Claire there in Adair. And don't forget that the market is on every Friday. So that's it for tonight. Thanks for your company and to my guests, Robin Gill, Georgina Campbell and Claire McDonnell. If you're heading to Taste of Dublin this Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, have a fantastic time. I'll be back at the same time next week. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>